this is a great day. It really is. Good morning. It's good to see you. Sometimes I get asked, um, when it comes to bapti- uh, baptizing, somebody that baptizes somebody, why, why do dads so often do it? And, uh, you know, I, I studied the scriptures on who is to baptize. And we know that John the Baptist baptized many people. We know that... Uh, um, we know that Paul baptized some, but mainly we don't know the pastors or whoever else was in the church. And so as I read through the scriptures, it does not really designate who is to water baptized. We know that water baptism is a step of obedience, but uh, we don't know who is to do it. And I grew up in churches where just the pastors uh, did it. And uh, as I looked at the scriptures and I thought, you know, we are to disciple people in all that we do, helping them to grow into Christ's likeness. And so who better pastors a family than the dad? And uh, now, not all dads want to or they're a little hesitant to do that, but uh, sometimes it'll be somebody else that led somebody to Christ that will do the, the baptizing. But a lot of times the fathers, just like you saw these three dads, we had two dads in the previous service who did the baptizing. What I believe, I believe it's a step of uh, discipling the home to be able to allow dads to do that. Because, listen, uh, I think about me, I think about my three kids that I had the opportunity to baptize. It kicks me to a new level of knowing they're watching me, and, and so... The, that's why we allow dads to, to do it. And we always have, uh, most of the time it's Pastor Allen, but uh, many times there'll be an elder or another pastor in the water as well. And then our pastors are more than willing to baptize as well. So that's just coaching you a little bit. Uh, some of you may be new around here. But there's two incredible gifts that uh, God gave the church and one is baptism that we just celebrated. Number two is the Lord's Supper. And we come for both of those today. We have the Lord's Supper every week. You'll notice it's off to the side. And sometimes people will say, uh, why do you have the, bab- uh, I mean, the Lord's Supper elements available every week? And, uh, and the reason is, is that many of you came from traditions or backgrounds that you did take it every week. So we, we do not want to take that away from you, so we have it available every week. Or you may be going through a, a trying time that you just need intimacy with the Lord, and so we have it for you as well. So, but, but what I want to do during the next few moments is I want to help you prepare your heart for coming to the Lord's table. I, I think it's. I think the scriptures are very clear. Let a man first examine himself, and not just a man, but a woman, a child. Examine your heart before you come to the Lord's table to participate in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So I want to. I want to try to help you prepare your heart and also deal with a series that we're walking in called uh, "Resetting Your Compass." in a disordered world. And listen, if you don't think we're disoriented in our world today, just look at things. I mean, we're so polarized. We, 
we, uh, we have stepped into so many things that are dividing us, and it is so important that, especially we as Christ followers, come back to what is most important, which is Jesus. And so we want to come back, and we want to reset our compass right there. Um, when I was a, a young man, it's been many, many dec- uh, several decades ago, uh, Pam said, she just checks me out all the time anyway, but uh, she said, there's a spot on the back of your leg, and, uh, and she said, you need to get that checked out. And, uh, of course, I, I'm answer like most of you guys, saying it's no big deal, it's nothing. And she says, you better get that checked out. Now, I have two choices to make at that one, at one time. I could argue with my wife, or I could go to the doctor and get it checked out. You can imagine what choice I chose at that point. I went to the doctor. And uh, I, was, I think I was going for something else. I said, oh, doc, by the way, would you look at this thing on my leg? And he said, oh, he said, that doesn't look good. We need to biopsy that thing and check it out. I thought, okay. She won this, this round. And so I go, and they biopsy it, and sure enough, they come back, and, and they say, okay, you've got melanoma. And uh, so I've got to have surgery they uh, get me to clear margins. They, they gave me a great calf muscle out of the thing because if you've ever had uh, melanoma removed, they take to get to clear margins. So they were able to do that, and, and I was fine. However, out of that, I had to go to the uh, dermatologist yearly, and uh, initially it was six months, but then it was yearly, and they were to do a this sounds like an old person, mole mapping. And uh, how many of you have joined me in the mole mapping? Okay. We have a support group for mole mappers. I mean, that just sounds old. Uh, And uh, so they did a mole mapping, and the reason they do that is so that they could come back next year and they could look and see if anything's changed. And uh, eventually... I did not have to go back. I went last year, I guess, to just get checked up on. But the small mapping allowed allowed my history to be there and marked out so that somebody could see it. And I, and I think about that. I'm going to transition here, that there are things in our life called spiritual markers. And these spiritual markers are almost like a mole map. We can go back and we can look at our life and, and we talk about following God's will, but sometimes we don't recognize it till we're here and we start looking back and say, oh God, you were directing me right there. You, you were, you were uh, in the process of resetting my compass right there. God, you got me back on track right there. And, and some of you can remember back where you stepped off course and God used something to pull you back in. And all of us have spiritual markers in our lives. And I, I want to talk to you about uh, some of the spiritual markers in our life. When I, I say our, uh, for, for me and Pam, and some of our walk. But I want, I want to start with a scripture passage in Genesis. Genesis chapter 32. You can look that up. And, and, and we're going to begin in verse 22. Genesis 32, 22, 
And I want you to, I want you to look at the life of Jacob just a minute. Because sometimes in life, we come to a point where we have to make a decision. Am I going to go this way? Am I going to go back? Am I going to go that way? What am I going to do with this time? And, and all of us come to those points in life. We come to decision-making times, just like Jacob did right here. To give you a little background, Jacob uh, had a brother by the name of Esau. Jacob and Esau, Jacob, the word literally means deceiver. And Jacob uh, deceived his brother out of his birthright. He deceived his father, uh, Isaac. He deceived Laban. He, he deceived a lot of people. But God had favor on him. He, uh, you may remember he actually had two wives, Rachel and Leah, and then they had handmaids and he had children by all of these. I don't recommend that, but that's what, that's what happened. And now he's got all these sheep, he's got all these workers, and he's going back and he knows he's going to be confronting his brother Esau, who he thinks last time he left him is angry enough to kill him. So he's going to have to confront his brother Esau eventually. And then this is where we pick it up in verse 22. It says, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, <coughs> and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. He, he takes everything and sends it on across the stream because he knows Esau's on the other side of the stream. But the next words speak volume in verse 24 and Jacob was left alone I don't know if you've ever been there I've been there before where you have to make a decision and you you feel like you're all alone I can make this decision to go on or I can make the decision to turn around and do something else but all of a sudden Jacob finds himself alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Remember, means deceiver. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which actually means face of God. He called the, the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. I'd like to speak to you about sinew of the thigh. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, 
That would be a sermon right there. But you see the place that Jacob's in. Jacob has to make a decision. Now, many scholars believe that his he was thinking, I've sent everything over. Esau will not do anything to my family. And many think he was making a decision of whether he would run away or not. But he wrestles with God all night long. And eventually we see the name change. We see the the hip put on a socket. This is what I believe. God was working on the man Jacob at this point. You know, some people say, yeah, but if he was wrestling with God incarnate and, uh, and then all of a sudden he says he could not prevail over him, what, what do you think that means, Mark? Well, I, I can't give you 100%. Someday we'll ask the Lord exactly why. Because God could have just destroyed Jacob. But I think Jacob was a man in search. And when a man is in search, a man or a woman is in search, you will hang tightly to whatever is there. Isn't it amazing that the closest Jacob ever got to God was in a wrestling encounter? And, and, and some of you have been through that wrestle. We have been through that wrestle at times in life. We have discovered that God is always near, but He's especially near in decision-making time. I said to you last week that I would kind of walk through some of the spiritual markers in our life. And the reason I want to walk through some of them, but I tremble to even share them, is I don't want you to... One thing I never want to come across in a, in a telling of something about ourselves is that we are the heroes, because that's not the case. It's God who has worked in us, and let's, let me tell you, there have been plenty of failures along the way. But let me just kind of use Jacob as a springboard as we talk about resetting our compass to God's will. July 18, 1960, it means nothing to you, but Charles Lindy Westerfield passed away on July 18, 1960. That was my father. I was 15 months old. The reason that date sticks out to me so much is because my father died, but he set a legacy for us. He set a legacy for us as a family that we would be a part of the true God and through Jesus Christ. He chose that legacy for our family. And so that's the legacy that I was born into. Yes, my father died at 15 months. Yes, that was very uh, uh, hurting. That was a, a wound that I was going to have to deal with into adulthood. But he set the legacy for our family. April 15, 1967, I was an eight-year-old boy. And I walked an aisle... On a Sunday morning, just like this Sunday morning, I walked an aisle, took the pastor by the hand, and I said, as much as me, I said, I want to follow Jesus. Just like these these kids today. I want to follow Jesus. That night, I, I followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Baptism is a step of obedience. If you've not taken that step of obedience, we would love to talk to you. I happen to be a child, but we baptize adults. We baptize everybody that's come to faith in Christ. So, as an eight-year-old boy, I followed the Lord in baptism. I 
was a kid that grew up in church, um, was very blessed in that area. However, at the age of 15, about 1974, God started getting a hold of my life. And uh, he started dealing with me. He started showing himself real. You know, it's one thing to know about God and to follow the steps that I knew I needed to follow. But it's another thing uh, between knowing God, knowing of God, and knowing God. At the age of 15, I was very blessed in that I came to an encounter with Christ. And uh, God forever changed my life. And and I, I, I'm not going to go into all that story right now, other than he changed the trajectory of my life. But uh, as a teenager, I was like many of our teenagers. I almost worshipped sports. I, I, my seasons were not winter, summer, fall, or spring. My my seasons were football, baseball, basketball, whatever the ball was for those seasons. That's the way it was for me. However, uh, Christ showed himself. I knew his Holy Spirit was real. My life would be forever changed. Pam and I were high school sweethearts. We married in 1979, 42 years of of marriage. And um, in 1980, I went on my first church staff position. So I've been, I'm good for nothing but church staffs, it seems. That's been my background. And so uh, that was where the Lord uh, took us finished up in 1981 and uh, from Baylor. We moved to Fort Worth so I could start seminary. Now, let me just put the brakes on here just a moment. We lived in Fort Worth at the time. We up and moved. There's much more to that story than just up and moving. I I think we freaked our parents out. But God provided. I went to work for a florist uh, delivering flowers. I would go to class in the morning and I would go, and they would have a van full of flowers that would take me about three hours to deliver all over the DFW area. One of the reasons that we moved to Fort Worth is I, I said there's no way I could commute because there's just no way that I could do that. Well, the Lord had another thing in mind. He's preparing. He's always preparing you for next steps. So we had actually talked to a church in the Hearst area about coming on to do youth ministry. We went in view of a call. They were going to vote the next week. However, on that Tuesday of the week between, on Tuesday, now you got to understand, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth was the world's largest seminary at the time. Over 4,000 men and women on campus. And uh, I'm walking out of a building one day, and this gray-haired man literally grabs me by the arm. And he says this. He said, you, can you tell me where I can find Mark Westerfield? And uh, I wanted to, first of all, ask if he was FBI or, or police or something. And, and uh, I, said, I said, good night, that's me. He said, uh, I'm Brother Emil Becker, uh, Pastor Emil Becker from First Baptist Church, Stephenville, I would, I would like to talk to you about our youth ministry position. And uh, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to listen now. This guy just grabbed me. Uh, long story short, we talk. Uh, I go home and tell Pam, you're not going to believe this. And uh, I call up that other church. They were about to vote. Can you imagine about to vote on a, on a staff member? And he calls up and says, I, I, I can't come. And that's what I did. I, I just believed 
that God was speaking, and, and sometimes he speaks through circumstances, but I knew we weren't supposed to be there. We ended up going to Stephenville, and this is where God is always preparing because, uh, remember I told you I, I just couldn't commute? I thought it was, uh, I thought there's no way I could do that. Oh, but God was preparing me. Every afternoon I would drive three hours to deliver flowers. So God is preparing me for the next step as we move to Stephenville, and I would be driving to Fort Worth daily for classes. But we were in Stephenville from 1981 to 1985. Our family was born there. It was hard work, but it was a great ministry, great place to be. In 1985, I got a call from First Baptist Church Round Rock to come and be their youth pastor. Um, uh, I told them no. Uh, there, we had just prayed through some other church opportunities. One was to go back to Waco to the largest church there, and, and we just felt not, no call there. So they called and said, would you be interested? And I said, no, we would not be interested. So we go on with life in Stephenville. Three months later, they call back. First Baptist Church calls me back. They say, we want to ask you a question. And, and you've got to remember this whole story of spiritual markers. I just see God's hand. And, and we said we would talk to you then. Uh, Pam and I have talked about this. First Baptist Round Rock, I say it was kind of a lateral move. She said it was a step down. And uh, so, uh, so not all God's leadings are going to take you up the, the ladder. Sometimes it's a lateral, sometimes a, a step down. But uh, we came here in, in 1985. God did uh, ministry. It was hard work. You know, you'll notice I say that a lot. It's hard work. Anybody that says that ministry or life as a believer is not hard work, uh, you've got to forgive them. They don't know what they're talking about. And uh, so we came here in 1985. I'm, I'm speeding this up because there are certain things I want to get to. In 1990, the Lord started uh, moving in my heart in a particular way. We at First Baptist had started a mission that w- the mission was not making it. And uh, in 1990, I, I, I felt like it would be good for Pam and I to see if we might could relaunch the um, mission church to see if it can go. And so the most nervous I've ever been with my wife was to sit down. She thought First Baptist Round Rock was a step down. This was going to be off the cliff. And so I sat down with her as nervous as I was. I said, honey, I think the Lord's impressing on my heart about we need to check out possibly leading the mission church because it's not going to make it. And uh, here's the deal. I've shared with you before about God's will. Is if you're married, you need to learn to submit to your spouse in things. If Pam would have said, I I just don't sense it right now. It may be God's will, but not God's timing. Because he's going to move us together. And so she, she trusted me enough in my walk with the Lord that uh, we made that step. 1990. We stepped out of um, the amenities of big church to the first Sunday. We had 40 people, and we rejoiced in 40 people. And uh, we made that step because God was in that. The other thing is I went to the pastor there of, of our church, and I, I said, I, 
I think that God may be speaking to me about going over and pastoring the, the mission church. And he said, I won't go for it right now. I said, that's fine. I, I was willing to submit to spiritual authority. So I, I decided that was off the table. He goes on a trip. He comes back and says, I think it may be a good idea for you guys to go over there. So now the door is open. We went, and, uh, and that's what happened. The rest is kind of history. We, uh, uh, I could go into detail. It would be a great book. I'm going to do a movie someday. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, and I, I always think who would play me? Denzel Washington. That's who I'm going to get to play me. I love Denzel Washington, so he would be the guy. i got to hurry. Um, but uh, but we, we went to the mission church. Lo and behold, the thing started growing. We were meeting at a middle school. We were, started out at the children's home. That's why the children's home is so precious to me. And uh, we were meeting at C.D. Folks Middle School. Lake Creek Baptist Church had hit a decline. They were on this campus, just the first little building up there. We call the crash pad now. And, uh, and uh, they were talking to us about coming together, joining the congregation together, and this kind of thing. And uh, I said, uh, first time I was contacted, I said, no way, no way. And uh, three months later, something about three months, they contacted me again. And they said, would you be interested in at least talking? Three months later, I mentioned it to our leadership of our church. I was willing to submit to them. They said, let's, let's look into it and see what might can happen in the midst of this. So we, uh, we started uh, visiting. I, I believe our history is on the, the web page, so I don't need to go into a, a lot of details other than that it was a very hard ministry. Uh, actually, for a short season, I was pastor of two churches at one time. Uh, I'd preach at one, go preach at the other. It, 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 it just was very taxing until God brought it all together. And, and so, you know, here we are walking through these steps of obedience the best way we know how. And then about 15 years ago, uh, uh, this will be the last one I give you right now, is about 15 years ago, the Lord started uh, messing with my heart again about the community. And, and I was complaining to God. I don't know if you complain to God. I complain. And uh, I, I go before the Lord. And I say, Lord, you know, I, I don't know the other pastors in town. We're, we're just not on the same page. I have more pastor friends in Austin and Georgetown than I do here in Round Rock. And the Lord, I'll never forget, it wasn't an audible voice. It may as well have been. He basically spoke to my spirit and said, what are you going to do about it? I was complaining to you, God, and you're saying, what am I going to do? So I knew that that meant I needed to do something about it. So I started into some things. I sought counsel. On every spiritual marker, we have sought counsel. But we sought godly counsel, and I was instructed. I needed to talk to our leadership of the church that it was going to cost me time, it was going to cost me finances, it was going to cost me many areas to do this. But this is what the Lord eventually showed me, is that I, in the ministry, I always thought you were called to congregations. But that's not what the Lord showed me. 
he showed me that I was called to a community. And I was called to put down roots and minister in that community. Now, I cannot imagine Round Rock not being on our address. But that 15 years ago, that spiritual marker was the catalyst for many things that have happened in our life, in this community, as far as broadening our ministry. You know, they call me the pastor of the pastors, but I, I don't like that title. But they, they, it's better than Pope that some of them use. But uh, I love the pastors of this area. I love the Big C Church in, in Round Rock. And, and this is where we've been called. Now, why do we go over these spiritual markers? Is because we're heroes that we have followed God? No, we missed Him several times. And, and in fact, uh, we, we still just struggle thinking, God, why would you even use us? But there were some things we learned, and I want to go over this because we need to get to the Lord's Supper real quick. I, I want to share with you four things that we learned along this journey. Number one is this. Life is a journey. It's not, it's not a one-time decision. Uh, I love the decision that our children have made. They're going to be baptized, that have been baptized. But listen, it's a daily decision to follow after Jesus. And it's a journey that you are a part of. And in that journey, uh, God will direct, but He will not only direct, He will be with you in the journey. And there are times that others will be with you in the journey. And then there's times when others you thought would be there till you die, walk away. It's hard. It's a hard journey. Uh, ease does not measure the will of God. Uh, there will be pitfalls. There will be stumbles. There will be questioning. But life is a journey. Number two, the key to walking in God's will is submission. We submit to the Father. We, once I learned that He was Lord and owner of it all, I knew that me, even my next breath, belonged to Him. Submitting to the Father. Submitting to my spouse. Submitting to those in spiritual authority. I was willing to do that and say, God, whatever you want to do. So, the key is submission. Thirdly, mistakes will be made. Give yourself grace just like God gives you grace. Sometimes you'll make mistakes. Sometimes uh, there will be times that you'll run from God's will and He'll use something else to get your attention. There will be times that you just don't seem to have it. And this is what I've learned. I've learned that God in His grace gives me much grace. And when I fail, he doesn't say, I told you so. He picks me up and says, next time you probably won't make the same mistake. So mistakes will be made. And then fourthly, it's this. I came to the conclusion in my life, above all else, my key to my life was to remain Christ-intoxicated. And when you use the word intoxicated, I, I use it on purpose. Because when a person is intoxicated with something, they're controlled by that. I looked up the other day that uh, there are basically three things that you can tell when a person is intoxicated. Now, they were talking about drugs and alcohol. But three things. Number one, their speech. Their speech would be slurred or something. Number two was their balance and coordination would be off. 
And then thirdly, their behavior would be altered. And I thought, I said, that's it! God, I want to be so Christ-intoxicated that first of all, my speech is altered because I'm talking about you. Secondly, my balance and coordination would be different because you would set where I go. And then thirdly, my behavior would be different because you are so filling me. And that is the desire of my heart. Do I do it all the time? You know I don't. You watch me. You watch my failures. You watch my struggles. But yet that, my desire is to be Christ intoxicated. I want to ask the worship team to come back uh, up here. And what I want to do is I want to pray over us today. Uh, we're, we're resetting our compass. Uh, we're resetting. And, and I've had the chance this past week to re-look and re-examine my spiritual markers. Do I know what is ahead? I've never been a five-year, ten-year guy. I've never been. Many people want to know, where's Central going to be in five years? Where are you going to be in ten years? Where are you going to be? I don't know. I do not know. I do know when I look back, though, that I have a God who's been faithful to guide us this far, and He will be faithful to lead us in the next five and ten. I know that. But what about you? As we come to the Lord's table right now, what about you? Can you say, God, I want to submit to you. I want to submit to your will for my life. Lord, I want to be on this journey with you. And then thirdly, are you willing to say, God, I want to be Christ intoxicated. I want to be filled by you in such a way that people know I'm different. Father, I pray over this time. I pray that in the next few minutes, we will participate in the Jesus stuff, the broken body, the shed blood. And Lord, you will create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit that is within us. And you will cast, you not cast us away from your presence, but your, you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, renew that right spirit in us right now. Lord, we just desire to be close to you as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand reverently. The worship team is going to lead us in this song. You Let it be. Let it be a time of introspection for you and getting right with the Lord.